want to read a verse for you. It's found in the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John, in writing his gospel, has one purpose. It's not difficult to figure out. You don't need to diagram it. You don't need a Greek lesson in it. He spells it out. I wrote down the stories that I wrote down for one purpose, that you would believe. And you can argue that John is the most impacting book in history. The Bible, no doubt about it, even if you're not a believer, the impact the Bible has had upon countries is undeniable. But when most people begin their search, where they begin is in the gospel of John because of its simple stated purpose. I want you to believe. It's had an impact on me personally. If I could rewind the clock, 1998, I'm at this high school retreat. I'm a helper there. I'm sitting with the high schoolers as a teaching is happening. This is before cell phones, before any of that kind of stuff. I'm helping. And then all of a sudden, there is a tap on my shoulder. And the lady said, there's a phone call for you. I'm like, what? Okay. Get up, go answer the phone. And immediately, the person on the other line said, this is the Santa Barbara, or excuse me, this is the Santa Rosa Hospital. And I knew immediately who it was. It's my dad. Had not seen my dad since 1978. 20 years I had not seen him. He was a man given over to alcoholism and that whole thing. And because of that, he had this, the violence and the rage and the instability and the charisma, all that's kind of wrapped up in that personality. And because of his addiction, he just wasn't a part of my life. And what they said was this, he's dying. And his liver, his kidneys, they're shutting down. And if you want to see him, you've got two or three days. And so I left that retreat. I got into a, the vehicle of one of my friends and we started driving and we drove down and I got to the Santa Rosa hospital and went in there. And I had not seen my dad since he was 42. He's now 62. And that life had changed him. He was real skinny, except for his stomach because he was no longer processing liquids. His stomach was distended. He looked like a very skinny nine-month pregnant lady. And his skin tone was gone now. Instead of being in their normal skin tone, it was that gray, dark color that happens when a body can no longer process toxins through your kidney and through your liver. And I almost, there was a moment where I could feel like, I don't wanna do this. I just wanna walk out. And there was two ladies kind of in the corner. And so I introduced myself to these two ladies and then I went over to my dad's bed. And he woke up for a moment. He had been sleeping. He woke up and I said, hey, dad, it's, it's Matt. 
And I knew it was not going to be long that he was gonna pass out again. And so I said, Dad, I don't know you, but I want to know you. And at this stage, the only way I'm ever going to get to know you is if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And he looked at me and his eyes hardened and he said, listen, I don't want you talking about that stuff anymore. And then he passed out again. And the two ladies that were there, they rushed over and they said, why are you doing this to him? Why are you making him suffer? Why are you doing this? And I said, listen, ladies, if I don't do this now for him, he will suffer unimaginably. And I didn't know what to do. The ladies went back to their corner. I sat there. And in that moment, I remembered John 20, 31, that this book was written so that you might believe. And so I sat down and I opened my Bible and next to my dad's head, I just began to read. And I read John chapter one and John chapter two and John chapter three and John chapter four and five and six and seven and eight and nine and 10 and 11 and 12, and halfway through chapter 12, my older brother who drove down in a different vehicle arrived. And he had what we believe is our father's first grandchild, Mackenzie Faith. And he brought her in and said, dad, and dad woke up and he said, hey, I want you to meet Mackenzie Faith. And then my older brother sat down by my dad's side and he said, hey, dad, I want you to do something for me. And my dad said, what? And my brother said, I want you to believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and to receive his forgiveness and become one of his sons. And it was like the room just froze. The ladies, like they just stopped chattering, they looked over. I stopped reading and looked. His heart monitor just went beep, like it stopped. Like what's going to happen? And this time my dad's face softened and he said, yes. I want to believe. And my dad received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and died 36 hours later. That's the power of this book, that you might believe. Well, Matt, what are we supposed to believe? Let me give you three highlights from the Gospel of John that we're supposed to believe, that he wants us to believe. Highlight number one is this. It's that Jesus is the word, and it's verse one of this book. So look at John 1, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Number one thing John wants you and me to believe is that Jesus is the all-existing, never-created Word. That He is God, right? And the Word was God. And in the beginning, should take your mind back to the very first verse in the Bible that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, God began to speak out, let there be light, and there was light. And what John is saying is when you hear the voice of God, it is God the Son 
the incarnate Jesus. That's the voice that you hear, that Jesus is God. Now, some people struggle with this. Some people don't believe this. Some people don't believe that Jesus is God. So a number of years ago, I was out on a Saturday morning and I just wanted to dig a hole. It'd been one of those weeks I was finally finished studying on Saturday morning and long week. And sometimes I've sat and I've talked so much during the week and heard so much. All I want to do is dig a hole, even if I fill it back in, just physical. And so I'm out there, I've got my shovel, I'm starting to dig when up comes a car. Now where I live, we're off a driveway, off a driveway, off a driveway. So when cars show up at my house, they're either coming to visit, they're lost, or they're Jehovah's Witnesses. These were Jehovah's Witnesses. And so they pull up and and I'm just like trying to hide behind my shovel, but I'm not quite that skinny. I'm just like, no, it's not working. And so they hop out, they're like, hello, friend, can we talk to you about God? Okay, yes. So we get in this conversation and it is an hour long conversation. We're going and we're talking and eventually they come to this verse right here. And they read it out of their Bible. So Jehovah's Witnesses have their own Bible. It's called the New World Translation. And they read John 1.1. But their version is a little different than every other version of the Bible because they're anti-Trinitarian, meaning they do not believe in the Trinity. They do not believe that Jesus is God. They believe he is a created being. And so in John 1.1, it says this, not the word was God. It says the word was a God. They add A in there. And so when they read that, I said, oh, that's, not, that's interesting. Because I said, look in my Bible. My Bible says the word was God. Your Bible adds the word A to it. And just as providence would have, I had just written a paper in seminary on John 1.1. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's go. And so I said, here's what's amazing to me, guys. I mean, uh, of all the translations throughout history, of the hundreds of English translations that we have, of the thousands of different languages of translations that we have, there is not another translation out of those thousands of translations over 2,000 years that has ever added an A in there except for the New World Translation in 1981. I said, now, if you do that, you guys must have a really good reason that you know very well why you would add this A in there that changes the in the entire nature of Jesus. You must have the reason. Please explain to me why the New World Translation adds an A before God there. And they looked at me and they said, we don't know. I said, well, I do. Let me tell you. I said, the Greek there is just theos. There is no Greek article before it, the or A. It's, it's, there is none. And so that's why no other translation has ever added an article. But I give you that sometimes to make clarity, you can translate and add an article. It's a very slim, 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 slim chance. But I said, here's the reason why no one other than the New World Translation of the thousands of translations over thousands of years has ever done that. Here's why. Context drives meaning. So if my daughter comes home from a date and she says, And I ask her, honey, how was your date? And she says, Bill was a dog. I'm not going to say, oh, what breed is he? (laughs) Golden Retriever? Pitbull. 
asthma hound chihuahua. Poor me. No, I'm not going to say that. I understand what she's saying because context always drives meaning. And here's why no other translation has done that. You just keep reading. Verse two, he was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. The word Jesus, his voice creates everything. Now, if he creates everything, what can he not be? Created. I said, that's why no other translation in history has ever translated it that way. The two guys looked at me and they said, we have not met someone like you. <laughs> and we have to go. <laughs> and they left. And I've never had a Jehovah's Witness come back. I think they have a list. Don't go to this address. <laughs> Matt, why does it matter? I mean, come on, if he's created or not, why does it matter? Here's why. It's what it does to the love of God. If Jesus is a created being, created to take the fall for our sins and to pay the price for us, what does that do to God's love? Because Jesus says there's no greater love than a man has for his friend that he laid down his life for him. What does it do to God's love? It makes him a monster. It would be like this. It'd be like we have elders meetings every Tuesday at six. So we're in our elders meeting this Tuesday at six in the morning and we're sitting there and all of a sudden we hear the glass break and a grenade comes and lands right on the table in between all the elders and it's there and nobody knows what to do. They're all paralyzed with fear, except for me. I know exactly what to do to save them. I know exactly what to do to spare their lives. I'll be their savior. So I jump up and I grab Chad Hansen and I throw him on the grenade. And it blows his body to bits. But the other people are all saved. And I look at them and I say, I'm your savior. See how much I love you? What would they say to me? You're a monster. If you truly loved us, you would have jumped on that grenade. That's what love does. Oh, see, that little egg changes everything. That's why no other translation does it. John says this, I want you to believe. I want you to believe that Jesus is the word, the incarnate God, the son, second person of the Trinity, 100% God, 100% flesh. That's number one. Number two, John says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the way. Look at John 14, verse six. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Number two, not just Jesus is the word. Number two, Jesus is the way. The only way. And today as a culture, we struggle with that, don't we? because it's exclusive and it seems intolerant. Let's talk about those. First, the exclusivity of what Jesus just said right there. 
I am the only way to the Father, me alone. We today want to make all religions the same, don't we? That they're all valid in their own way, that they're all a path to God. And what God is really looking for is not a single path. What he's looking for is sincerity. So we don't like this idea that Jesus is the only way. That if you're a sincere Hindu or a sincere Muslim or a sincere Buddhist, that's fine. That's fine, you're in. That all religions are truth. All religions are equal. Here's the only problem with that. Religions don't let you do that. They don't let themselves be equal or all truth because religions actually contradict each other. Do you know that? So Islam says, kill the infidel. What does Jesus say? He says, love the infidel. Love your enemy, right? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Buddhism says, you are your neighbor. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Hindu says, you are God, right? Those are different. The dome of the rock has written around it. God is not begotten, nor does he beget. Saying, Jesus is not the only begotten son, right? One has to be right and one has to be wrong. That's what it comes down to. And what you believe matters. So there's this great debate between John Lennox. He's a math professor at Cambridge and a sold out believer for Jesus Christ. And he debates this guy named Richard Dawkins, who is the high priest of atheism. You can get it. It's called uh, Lennox Dawkins debate. It's brilliant. And in the middle of this debate, John Lennox says to Richard Dawkins, he says, listen, Richard, it matters what you believe. So he said, imagine you are out in the jungle and you run into this tribe and they invite you over for dinner. Do you want this tribe to believe the ethic of Jesus, which is love your neighbor as yourself? Or do you want them to believe in the ethic, which is eat your neighbor for dinner? <laughs> because it matters what you believe. It begins to affect a civilization. So I've had the opportunity to go to India five different times. Love the people in India. But India is a Hindu nation, and what Hinduism believes has affected that nation. So you go to the base there called Body of Christ Ministries, and when you're there, they have an orphanage, and it is 20 to 1 girls. Like, there's girls everywhere. You know why? Here's why. Hinduism believes in reincarnation. Better luck next time, essentially. And so because of the caste system and because of the dowry system put on girls to get them married, very often, if a lady gets pregnant and she gives birth to a girl, that family will take that girl and they'll put the girl out by the side of the road to die because they cannot afford to pay the dowry for her to get married. But here's what they believe. Maybe next time she'll come back as a boy and then we'll keep her because what you believe matters. But Body of Christ Ministries finds that intolerable. So they actually send out people in the evenings to walk along the roads there in Southeast India and to find these babies and to bring them in. That's why it's 20 to one little girls, because they say, no way, every life matters. You are stamped with the image of God. Young, old, does not matter. You are an image 
bearer of God. It matters what you believe. And if you look throughout history, Christianity has transformed the world, entire world's vision of what life is. Like we sometimes think about the Greeks, that the Greeks were so wise and, and you know, democracy comes from them and they're so, really? Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Listen to what Aristotle said about women. Remember, I am not saying this. <laughs> Aristotle is saying this. Check this quote out. In children, reason is present, but undeveloped. In women, reason is present, but unused. No amens from the husbands, right? Whoa. On your wedding, in Greek culture, during the ceremony, the person performing the ceremony would look at the woman and say, listen, when your husband commits adultery on you with a prostitute or a woman of easy virtue, it is not a sign he does not love you. He's just gratifying his passions. Can you imagine that? Man, I got three daughters. Someone does that, I am minimally tasing him. Right? It's insanity. Wherever Jesus Christ and the gospel has gone, it has always elevated women and children. And every once in a while, you get a glimpse of the two civilizations coming in contact with each other. And it's amazing what happens. When Mother Teresa goes to Calcutta 70 years ago, with the understanding that we're all image bearers of God, no caste system, no color system, no gender system. We are all image bearers of God. And every single person deserves love. And she would go out in the evening and collect together the worst of the worst of the dying beggars and bring them into her own bed and nurse and love and care for them until they died. And people asked her, why are you doing that? This is what she said. And I quote, I have it here. A beautiful death is for those that have lived like animals to die like angels, loved and wanted. And what happens when Mother Teresa dies there in Calcutta? A million people, one of the largest funerals ever in India, a million people come out and pack the streets of Calcutta because they said, that's right. That's right. See, Jesus is not a way. Jesus is the way. And we've been given a conscience, Roman 2 tells us, that we can evaluate which one is the better way. Which one is the better way? No doubt, treating people with the value and dignity as image bearers of God is the better way. What about intolerance? That this idea that Jesus is the only way, it's intolerant. Well, tolerance has changed, do you know that? Tolerance now means that you and I accept whatever a person feels or thinks. That's now tolerance. That's not tolerance. That is an 18th century enlightened idea that said there is no real truth. Everything is subjective to whatever a person feels that that's what's most important. And that is the religion and philosophy of today. Tolerance, here's what true tolerance is. Tolerance is how you treat people that disagree with you. That's tolerance. 
How are we to treat people that we disagree with? Jesus tells us how. You love them. You care for them. And if necessary, you die for them. That you love your enemies. Right? You give your life for them because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Christianity is the most tolerant religion ever. Christians aren't always, I'll give you that, no doubt. But Jesus Christ is, and Christianity is. And where it has gone, slavery has been abolished. Orphanages have been opened. Hospitals have been opened. Poor people have been cared for. Women and children have been elevated wherever the gospel has gone. Why? Because Jesus is the way. Truth number three that John wants us to believe is Jesus is the work. Look at John chapter six. Verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is singular the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Third thing, Jesus is the work. Now remember the audience, Jewish people who had 1,400 years of tradition 613 do's and don'ts, sacrifices and systems, and all this was to do the work of God. And so these people ask, what are we needing to do to do the work of God? What they're asking is what we ask, and how do we get on the inside? How do we have a good relationship with God? How do we reconcile ourselves with God? How do we do that? What must we do, right? It's the same question. What are we supposed to do? How do we get God to like us, right? Do I need to be nice? Do I need to be moral? Are we graded on a curve? So as long as I'm not as bad as Hitler, hey, I'm good, I'm in, right? We all have this question. Jesus says, real simple, you believe that I'm the way and the truth and the life, that I'm the door, that that singular is the work. And when you believe that, you're reconciled to the Father. The chasm between us and our Heavenly Father, our Creator, is finally bridged. We're brought back to fracture from Genesis 3, is healed. And even better than that, Jesus is not a dead God. Three days later, after he paid the price for our sins, Jesus is resurrected. And now he says this, when you believe in me, I take my life in my spirit and I plant it inside of you. And that life begins to grow and change you into my image. As you water it with the word and with fellowship and with life circumstances, you become more and more like me. This is the majesty of grace, the majesty of this new life, the miracle of conversion. Literally, we become different people. We're like Pinocchios. We become real boys and girls. And that happens because of Jesus. So you, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is a God? Or do you believe that Jesus is the God 
Do you believe that Jesus is a way, just one of many, you know, take your choice, whatever it is, all roads lead to God, or do you believe that Jesus is the way? Do you believe that Jesus is the work? Or are you trying to work your way to God? A little bit better, a little bit better, just trying harder, man, just trying harder. What do you believe, right? Because it matters. It matters. Do you believe you need to be saved? Think about your own life. Do you need to be saved? What is the cause of most of your regret? You. And if you don't have much regret, you're either really young or you got a terrible memory. That's it. Because we all do. Who lies to you the most? You do. Who disappoints yourself the most? You do. Who fails your, yourself the most, right? Just go down the list. It's you every single time. It's me every time. That you realize I do need to be saved. I'm the problem. It stares at me every morning in the mirror. I need to believe. Well, Matt, how do I do that? What do I do? The book of Acts, the first book where the church explodes, has this refrain that's repeated over and over for people that feel that. What do I do? And it says this, repent and be baptized. Repent, change your mind about Jesus. You thought he was just a God or a way or a work. No, you change your mind. He is God in the flesh. He is the only way back to the Father. It's him. You thought you had to work to earn something. No. You believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf and his life is planted in you. That's what you do. And then you get baptized. Baptism is you're reliving the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's embodying it. And something miraculous happens in those waters. Your regret and your failure and your shame and all that is washed away. And though your sins were like scarlet, man, you come out white as snow. That all that junk is replaced with a peace that passes all understanding. It's a miracle that happens. The waters of baptism. You die and you're resurrected to newness of life in Jesus Christ. It's powerful. So what do you do to believe? And repent and be baptized. And so we're gonna open these doors right now. And if you're saying you can feel the tug of God's spirit on you and you're saying, today's the day I'm doing it. I'm gonna get baptized. I want that regret and that shame and those feelings, I want them washed away. Then we wanna join with you today. And so right now you can just stand up wherever you're at and head on over and we will watch and see what Jesus does in your life. Old washed away, sins that were like scarlet made white as snow. You become a son, a daughter of King Jesus for eternity.
You join with me and my dad in heaven. That's what we want. See, I want you to believe. I want you to light, have life and I want you to have it abundantly. I'm like John. I want one thing for you today, to believe and to be given life. And so we're gonna watch some baptisms happen and we're gonna sing a song and then the worship team will dismiss you. But join with us as we watch and see lives being changed today.